Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Let's get into the Word together, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. This is part 20, believe it or not. It's the longest series I've ever done. Uh, but that's only because I just kept on feeling that the Holy Spirit kept on downloading to me some, I think, important things for every one of us that feel called by God. I know and you know that to be a Christian is not where you get into God's waiting room, where you're waiting for your name, your number to get called, and then you go into the, the final place of heaven. But every single one of us that are called by God have got a job to do. And because we're called by God and because we're chosen by God, every single one of us, there is nobody more called. There's no one less called. There's nobody more chosen. As though God goes, well, I really wanted them, but you on the other hand, I'm a bit unsure about. There's no one on probation. There's nobody that God is still trying to make up His mind about. We are all called and we are all chosen. And I pray that that will be the way you live your life. I pray that there will be within you a deep sense, regardless of your job, your career, regardless of the environment where you live your Monday through to Saturday, I pray that there will be a deep sense in you that God's hand is on your life, that He's leading you and guiding you for a reason, that there's something that you are doing. Now, you may never find out the totality of it, all the detail of it, until the day you stand before God. I just got an email today uh, from Anna talking about what's happening in Albania. People are continuing to come to Christ. That's our second generation connect group. Matter of fact, so many of them are new believers that we are starting an alpha uh, group there in Albania for all of those people. That's after one year of uh, this um, ministry and this mission taking place. And that is replicated in a few other nations of the world, by the way. And you know, I might never yet get to meet those people this side of heaven, apart from on Zoom as we do from time to time. But I do know this, that there's no such thing as an insignificant Christian. I know there's no such thing as a, 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 an anonymous work of God. There's nothing you can do in the name of Christ that Jesus won't notice. He he said, if you but gave a glass of water to someone in his name, he said, I'll notice that, I'll record that, and you will receive a reward for that. You and I are in the greatest thing that is occurring across planet Earth ever in all of human history. It's called the Church of Jesus Christ. It's called the believers, the called ones. It's called you and I doing more than just gathering together together on a Sunday and worshipping and singing songs and listening to preaching, you and I are doing the work of God. That is incredibly important. Let's go to the scripture, Matthew 8 verse 23. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples and suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, shouting, Lord, save us. 
we're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith that he got up and rebuked the wind and waves and suddenly all was calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now another one that actually is linked, but it's a completely different scenario. It's in John 13 verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that His hour had come to leave this world and return to His Father. He loved His disciples during His ministry on earth and now He loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he'd come from God and that he would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, his outer jacket, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet drying them with the towel that he had around him. How can somebody sleep in the middle of a storm? Jesus is not just sitting there calm. He's actually asleep. He's resting. He's not perturbed. He's not upset. He's not fearful. Everyone around him is. Who can sleep in the middle of a storm? But who also washes his followers, his subordinates' feet? These people are following him. He's the leader. In their world, if you're the leader, everyone serves you. In their world, if you are the rabbi, the guru, the teacher, if you are the master, they wash your feet. Matter of fact, it was the lowliest job in all of a household. They did not have bitumen roads and concrete sidewalks or footpaths. Everything was dirty and dusty. And the least job you could be assigned in a household was that one, to get down on your hands and knees and to wash the feet, the dirty feet, of somebody in front of you. What kind of person sleeps in a storm? And what kind of person washes their subordinates' feet? Well, the answer to both questions is exactly the same. It's someone who's secure. Secure enough that whatever circumstance they're in, they know what the end is going to be. And secure enough that they're able to serve without sensing or feeling any diminishing of their identity or their Oh, their self-image. They don't have anything of, well, don't they know who I am? The answer to both is exactly the same. Secure, knowing that whatever God starts, listen to me, whatever God starts, He finishes. Knowing that whatever we commit to Him, He can give. Let me read you a great verse out of the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says, I have no regrets. I couldn't be more sure of my ground. Can I say to you, we are living in a world right now where that is in incredibly short supply, both in the church and outside of it. 
We're living in a space where Christians are being torn hither and thither and thrown around, where all kinds of opinions are carrying so much weight and pressure. That is in short supply. I couldn't be more sure, Paul says, of my ground. Why? Because the one I've trusted in can take care of what he's trusted me to do right to the end. Secure. Why? Because I know in whom I have believed. Not what I believe, but who. Someone asked me during the week because they were going through some very deep personal valleys in their life. And I began to relate to them a story of years and years ago where I too went through a time where I felt so fragile that I felt like the strength that was necessary was not in me. You know, it was kind of like you went to the cupboard and the cupboard was bare. You went to the place of your strength and your ability and there's nothing left. You've used it all up. Lasted for me around about six months, I think. And I remember this was my daily prayer. Simple. Jesus, before I knew you, I needed a saviour. And now that I know you, I still need one. I haven't outgrown it. I haven't discovered some magic pill or some marvellous key that somehow or other makes me now, uh, you know, unneeding of a saviour. Lord, I still need you. Lord, today, I need you to save me. I cannot do this. And the reality was that somehow or other, it may have taken a while, but I said to this person during the week, it got to the point where that thing gradually disappeared out of my world. And I no longer knew it. And I said, and it's never been back since. He will take care of what he's trusted me to do. Come on, Christian. He's trusted you with something to do. And he says, I will take care of you. Come on. He said, I'll take care of you in this. Come on, you that are worried about what tomorrow looks like and will you be able to, and how's that going to work out and what about the kids and what about the family and what about my job and what about everything else? He will take care of what He has trusted you to do in this world and in this life. He'll take care of it. He said, I'll look after that for you. Daniel chapter 7 verse 25, it won't be up there for you, but it says this, that there's an enemy that uses this phrase. It says it was given unto the enemy to wear down the saints. Listen, the devil can't knock you out, but he sure is going to try and wear you down. Day by day, bit by bit. Do you start going, what's the point? It's too hard. Can't. I won't. And rather than getting stronger, many people right now are getting weaker. And I'm not here to bag out on anyone. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to say to you, the one who's called you will take care of what you committed to him. Amen? That's why it's a great idea to, as, as a Christian, regularly say, Jesus, I'm committed to you. Amen? Don't just make it what you did all those years ago or last week or whatever you got saved, whenever you gave your life to Christ. Amen? I tell him regularly, you know, I'm committed to you. I've committed my life to you. I still trust you today. I don't, as I get older, don't trust more of me. It's like the sliding scale between Jesus and me. 
you know, and the more I go on, the more I don't need Jesus anymore. Like I've outgrown Jesus. You'll never outgrow Jesus. Amen. So how do you stay secure regardless when you are in the midst? Just going to give you a few quick things out of this story. Number one, Jesus stayed secure in the midst. Why? Because he took his cues from in here, not from out there. Listen to me. Because right now, I was thinking about this the other day. We don't live in the information age. We live in the misinformation age. There's never been more stuff coming like in a million different ways all across your life and world. And who knows? But Jesus never lived his life by what do you think and what about that? His own disciples oftentimes were saying to him, don't go to the cross, don't go to Jerusalem. And if he lived his life according to what everyone else thought, we would not be in this building worshipping a risen Saviour. But we're here today, why? Worshipping a risen Saviour? Because Jesus didn't take his cues from what the world was doing, but from what the Father was saying. Are you with me? In here, inside of you, that's where hope lives. That's where faith is. That's where confidence is. That's where the promises of God live. God says, I've written eternity in your hearts. It's inside. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. Take your cues, not from what's out there, but what's in here out there is all the circumstances and the feelings and the opinions. Let me ask you a question. Where are you being nudged from right now? Who's nudging you? Is it the Holy Spirit? I'm not talking some kind of, listen, those of you that know us here, you know I'm not talking some kind of airy-fairy, you know, I don't know. You know, like as though somehow or other the Christian life is like Disneyland. We visit it every Sunday. And, you know, it's perfectly clean and there's no rubbish and it's all beautiful. And we come in smiling. And when we go out, we go back to the real world. That's not Christianity. The, I, I don't know what it is. I think it's religiosity. Christianity, Jesus never, ever pretended that the problems weren't there. He just showed us how to overcome regardless. He's in the storm. But see, he's not taking his cues from the wind and the waves. He's taking his cues from what the Father said. Go to the other side. That's where I'm going. Who's nudging you right now? Secondly, Jesus believed that mission triumphs over moments. Luke 8 verse 22, same story, same incident. He said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. Deal's done. That's where we're going. Can I say to you, a person who has got a living vision inside of their heart, someone who has got a sense of mission, is never going to be bothered by what is happening around about because they say, no, that's where we're going. We're going to the other side. If we are called and chosen, and we are, then our mission is over our moment. If you know the beginning and the end, you're never worried about the middle. Isn't that right? Come on, we've all done this. You watch the movie. You start watching the movie. You know who the hero is. And 15 minutes in, that hero is in a diabolical position. 
And we all go, oh, no, it looks like it's the end. But why do you know it's not the end? Because it was the end of the story. The hero's finished. And if the hero, if it's not the end of the movie, the hero can't finish. Isn't that the way it works? We all sit there and go, no, he'll get out of it. No, she'll get out of it. How do you know that? Because if they don't, the movie's over. It's as simple as that. And we are, to paraphrase another movie, we are on a mission. Amen? That's why stuff can happen. People listen to me. People all around the place are getting all worked up about a whole lot of stuff. I sit here and go, God, you said this. You said that the fields were white under harvest. You said, I will build my church. Then if you said you'll build your church, then I know that's what's going to happen. We are going to the other side regardless of whatever wind, regardless of whatever waves. I can tell you this, Jesus will still be on the throne. He'll still be seated at the right hand of the Father. He'll still be listening to all the praise coming up and all the prayers, the incense of the saints. He'll still be listening to all of that. It's still be coming His way. He is not in any way, shape or form going to get shifted off the throne because of what anybody else on the planet does. We are on a mission. Amen. So the provision will be there. The blessing will be there. The help will be there. The strength will be there. The guidance will be there. It's all going to be there. Here's the third reason why Jesus was secure in the midst. It's because he knew there was more for him than against him. I was thinking about this during the week, you know, in Matthew 26, I think it's verse 53, is that right? Matthew 26, 53, yeah. They come to arrest Jesus. All the soldiers have gathered together. They've got their swords. They've got their armour. They've got the whole deal. And here's Jesus with 12 disciples. Well, actually only 11 because one of them had already turned him in. So he's only got 11. And they've got a big mob and they've come at night and they've got him in the garden. And they're coming to arrest him. And Jesus makes this statement. Let's do it. He says, do you not think that I can now pray to my father and he'll provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Well, I've thought about that and I wondered why he said 12 and not 5 or 4 or 6 or 30. Why 12? And then I thought, I wonder how many soldiers there were in Galilee where Jesus was. Well, I was quite surprised. Archaeologists and historians tell us that a legion was somewhere between four and 6,000 soldiers. It wasn't always an exact number. So somewhere between four and 6,000 soldiers are in a legion. And Jesus says, I can bring 12 lots of them. Somewhere between 48 and 72,000 soldiers. But he said, mine wouldn't just be soldiers, they'd be angels. Like a lot. I don't care how big your guy is. My guy's bigger. Amen. My father can beat your father. And then I thought, well, I wonder how many soldiers the Romans had in Galilee. You'd want to know that, wouldn't you? Three of you want to know that. 
doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you anyway. I was shocked to discover that Rome, maybe they thought they had so subdued the Jews it didn't matter. They had a total of three and a half thousand soldiers in Galilee. That's all they've got. Pilate, Herod, who sits there examining Jesus and eventually delivers him up and says, crucify him. All these people, they've got at the back of them three and a half thousand. And Jesus says, you know how many I can bring? I can bring 12 times as many as you've got. Think about that a minute. Are you under the pump? Is there pressure on you? Do you feel like there's so much against you? Jesus says, I can bring a lot more for you than anything that's coming against you. Do you have an ugly boss? And don't anybody who's on staff here, don't even smile at the moment. Do you have a difficult manager? Are you in a place where you feel like work has become a hostile place? Why don't you go this week, walk in the door and smile and go, you know what? There's more with me than there are against me. It'll change your week. Instead of sitting there going, oh, oh, you walk in there and go, isn't this great? Amen. I'm at my desk surrounded by angels. These people that are around about me. Jesus is saying, I've got 12 times as many for me as you've got against me. He takes his cues from what's in here, not what's out there. Don't get nudged by that stuff. He believed and knew that mission's always stronger than the moments. Every mission's going to have its ups and its downs. Go with the mission, not the moments. There's more for you than there is against you, lastly. I love this. There's 12 people in a boat and they're all absolutely petrified. Every one of them is in terror. And one man's faith is stronger than everybody else's fear. What can you do in your workplace? What can you do in your home? Some of you here, you're the only believer in your home. Oh, do you know that how much light it takes to dispel darkness? I often get up in the middle of the night. Wake up early. And you know, this tiny little piddly light on my phone, if I can make it where you go, yeah. I only discovered this a week ago. I discovered you can do it from the home screen. You just got to really press on the thing there. Look at it. It's, it's nothing here. You can barely see it. But do you know, if this room was dark, this thing would be the most powerful, powerful thing in a, light, in a room full of darkness. Well, what are you locked on to? Oh, it's dark. The world's dark. We're all going to hell in a handbasket. We'll all be ruined. There's plenty of Christians like that. Plenty of people that are looking at all the darkness. But my Bible tells me that Jesus stood up and one man's faith was greater than everybody else's fear. Come on. What are you taking to your home today when you leave here? Oh, God. God, my life sucks. God. 
Then we take it home, or you're going to go home there today going, we sang, thank you, Lord, for saving me. I was waiting for a key change in that, by the way. It really needed a couple, you know. We'll sing it again in a minute. Are you going to take that home? You know, tomorrow morning when church, retro, metro, is just part of yesterday, you're going to wake up in the morning. Oh, God, thank God at least it's not raining. God. By the way, if you're not here in Perth, and lots of you aren't, we just had a lot of rain this year, really. Cut my neighbours and saying, Have you, you know that arc thing? <laughs> what are you going to bring tomorrow morning? Come on, I just, I just know that Christians aren't people that just believe in Jesus. I just believe in Jesus. Rubbish. That's not it at all. Christians are people that are born again of the Holy Spirit. Christians are people where Christ has come and taken up residence in their life and they have a voice that nudges them that maybe nobody else around them can hear, but that voice nudges them and they hear the witness of the Holy Spirit and a strength that's not coming out of them or their personality, but a strength that comes from God is inside their life. And so when they live and they walk and they move through the earth, they do it as called and chosen people, not as people that are waiting to see what happens next. Amen. Well, I think that's what called and chosen means. I think called and chosen means I'm not at the mercy of what everyone else is up to. I think called and chosen means there's somebody living in my life and living my life through me. That's what it is. Listen, if you've never encountered Christ, then what I've just said to you might sound like, what? Because when I was a kid growing up, I thought Jesus was like your fire insurance. You know, if your house burned down, you climbed on it. You know, and like, you know, somehow or other that Jesus was like fire insurance. You don't want to go to the fire. So get Jesus. And I thought forgiveness of sin was Jesus kind of like going, oh, well, you're a bad guy, but I forgive you. Oh, yeah, you poor pathetic thing. But you know, when I really encountered Jesus, I discovered that it's vastly, vastly different. And I'm not saying it's automatic. It never all happened like that for me. Oh, no, but I've been through a few battles here and there. But I tell you, there's never been a day where the Holy Spirit's left me. There's never been a day where Jesus' strength was not available to me. He's been there for me and led me and still does every step of the way. I'm confident, I'm certain about tomorrow. Not because of what the world says. Not because of what the papers say. I'm certain because there's a Saviour who saved me. Amen. And the Saviour who saved me is still there. Amen. Now, some of you here, you go, I don't even, I have no idea what that feels like. Well, I'd say, yeah, I didn't know it once either. I knew a lot about God. Well, actually, I knew a lot about church. What I knew was insufficient. There was no spiritual life in it. I'm so glad that I went to a meeting like this, I really did. And it wasn't the preacher. I can't even remember who the preacher was. Don't remember anything they said. I do remember 
feeling in that place something that resonated within me and I thought, I want that. I knew it was God. I didn't know how to get it. Except all I knew was you had to say yes to Jesus. Don't ask me how I knew that. I just did. Something inside me just goes, this is it. A week after that, I went to church and someone said, if you want to receive Jesus, say yes and open your heart to him. And I did. It's a lot of years ago and I've never, ever regretted it. Not on the good days or the bad ones. Come on, Jesus wants to come into your life. Being a Christian is not you trying to be good. Being a Christian is you saying, Jesus, I'm going to let you into my life. I'm going to let you start to lead me from this. I'm going to let the nudges of my life come from you, not from everyone else. Not from out of my past, my failures, my weaknesses, my flaws. I'm going to let it come from you. All you've got to do is say yes to Jesus up on the screen for you right now in front of me here, or behind me rather. Or if you're at Metro Church Online, that yes moment's coming up for you on the screen. If you're in Australia, you can say yes, why yes. Just text it through to 0488826392. Email yes.metrochurch.org.au. Go, Jeff. That seems a small thing to do. I agree. But I know that behind that is someone's heart. People do this every week. Every week there'll be somebody either online or in the building who goes, I want to say yes to Jesus. And when they do, something changes on the inside because Jesus, if he's watching for the glass of water you give, you better believe he's watching for your yes. Matter of fact, the Bible says when one person says yes, the whole heaven erupts, turns it into a dance party. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great grace. You brought us here to this moment. Whatever we think led us here, you were a part of it. There'd be people listening to me right now, Lord, who would think, oh, I couldn't do that. I'd never be able to carry that off. I wouldn't have the strength. But Jesus, we're not asking you for us to do it. We're asking you to be our saviour. Jesus, would you do what you do best? Would you save today? Save the lost. Save the broken. Save the hurting. Save the confused. Save the people that just don't know you. Help them today. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you send your yes to any one of those ways I've mentioned, the next day after that, someone from our church, and I want to make it very clear, this is not from anywhere else. This is not some online bunch. This is Metro Church. We'll send you the next day, every day for 30 days, though you can opt out whenever you like. We'll send you a different Bible verse every day and a different prayer every day to help you hear what God's got to say about your life and to help you know how to talk to God. It's not complicated, but we also know a lot of people go, I don't know what to do. So we want to send that to you. 
it's that easy go is, is that all no no that's not all that's the beginning of you walking with God 42 years ago Rhonda, is it we got married I gotta work it out so many minutes. is it 42 oh thank you Lord I got it right ask me do I know everything about Rhonda no I only found out a couple of years ago that she likes her pegs on the line to be the same colour. What was that about? I was going, what? I just whack them up there. First peg I grab, that's it. That's that's the divine peg, that one. Wouldn't it be wouldn't it be sad if 42 years ago we got married and said that's it? I never want to know another thing. That's it. That'd be dumb, wouldn't it? You don't do that. That's what marriage is. Where you marry someone and then spend the rest of your life getting to know the person you just said I do to. You say yes to Jesus, you'll spend the rest of your life going, ah, ah, ah. And he won't care what colour the pegs are, by the way. Or the other, am I going to pay for this? It's a long time since I've had to take you shopping because of what I said. So this could be the day, yeah, maybe this week they'll have to carve out time for that. I just know that if you'll say yes to Jesus, it'll be the greatest day of your life. I pray you will. We're here to help you. Come on, we're here to help you. If you're online, there's people that are there ready to help you. We'll never write and ask you for money. We'll never write and try and persuade you to anything else. We want to help you. And I pray that you'll say yes to Christ in Jesus' name.